This program is sponsored by Dave Stahl. It's time to get educated on your Second Amendment rights. Welcome to two full hours of Gun Owners Radio. Your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Dramisi, and Michael Schwartz, will teach you about firearms, self-defense, and the laws that affect your rights to keep and bear arms. Visit GunOwnersRadio.com with questions to learn how to become a sponsor of Gun Owners Radio and get involved. Together, we will win. Now here's your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Dramisi, and Michael Schwartz on The Answer San Diego. All right, folks, welcome to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The Answer. Boy, do we have a special guest for you folks today. Sit down, relax, put your feet up. We've got the L.A. County Sheriff, Alex Villanueva. But first, we are so proud to have the Dillon Law Group as our show sponsor. And did you know Dillon Law is an attorney on the Miller versus Bonita case? He is fighting hard to remove California's ridiculous restrictions. And if you have legal matters that involve firearms, then you need to call attorney John Dillon, especially if you have questions about red flag laws, gun registration, gun transportation, or maybe you need to know that your guns are California compliant. Call our trusted firearms attorney, John Dillon. John Dillon specializes in California gun laws. Call 760-642-7150, or you can visit his website at dillonlawgp.com. All right, so we have a very special guest, um, one I've been waiting to talk to for a long time. I'm very excited about L.A. County Sheriff Alex Villanueva. Sheriff, are you there? I'm here. How are you, sir? Not too bad. Yourselves? Doing great. Thank you so much for calling in, and congratulations on everything that's going on as far as uh, CCWs in L.A. County. Right. Um, and I can't tell you how much we appreciate um, the clarification of your policy. And I think it's fair to say that it's a change of policy, isn't it? Well, we're making it an achievable standard, the good cause standard. In the past, it was good cause, only a name, and it was virtually impossible. And you know the numbers from previous administrations. We're low. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had the same problem down here in San Diego. Ah. So what was what was what what was the catalyst? What ma- what made you look at the program and say cuz you've been in office actually before we get to that question. You've been in office for how long? Uh 2 years and about 8 months now. And what a so almost 3 well, let's, years. Let's ask one more question. How long you been in law enforcement? 35 years. Yeah. Ah, you're a rookie. <laughs> And what a three-year period to, to be a, a sheriff of L.A. County. I mean, it was a lot of challenges. A lot of things came up. I mean, it wasn't exactly smooth sailing for three years. Tell us a little bit about your, your, your first almost three years of being sheriff of L.A. County. Well, strangely, the political establishment is gushing at the, the governor and the, leading us through these tumultuous times. And he has a complete and 100% support of the political establishment and the one-party rule of California. And I'm here swimming against the current of uh, political correctness and wokeism and surviving a civil unrest, defunding, and all kinds of drama that happen through any large organization. And uh, we're still afloat, and we're still uh, uh, doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is taking care of people, keeping everybody safe. So what was the toughest thing about being a sheriff in the last three years? With, with I mean, there really was a cultural change in the United States, especially in California, um, and that happened right around the time you got elected. So what's the toughest, what's the toughest part? Uh, dealing with a, um, a corrupt 
and dedicated board of supervisors uh, wow. committed to uh, not only defunding the sheriff's department, but also discrediting and delegitimizing the office of sheriff. And they're supposed to be the ones I'm supposed to partner with. Mm. So as you can tell, it's been a, a rough ride for three years. That I mean, that's a huge claim, corruption in the, in the, uh, the county board. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that? Oh, definitely. They have uh, weaponized every single county department they have at their disposal against the sheriff's department. I'll give you a simple example, county council. They're supposed to actually represent my interest, and they uh, actually um, recommended for the board to sue me while they're my attorney. Imagine that you hire an attorney that's supposed to represent you, and they go out and sue you. And that was my first month in office. They'd hired a law firm to sue me, and that was one caper. Then you go to uh, DCFS. You go to, uh, for example, we were uh, partnering with the DCFS to make sure we can knock on the doors of at-risk children who are not being seen by teachers and school staff because of COVID, the lockdown. And all of the line staff thought it was a great idea. The director of DCF thought it was a great idea right up until the point the Board of Supervisors said, oh, it's a horrible idea. We don't want to help the sheriff. No, he's, he, they're mean. They have guns. And that meant that the kids were not going to be the at-risk kids. They're ones that most likely to be abused by their parents in that familial setting. No one ever saw them. So Lord knows what happened during this time period where everything was behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. So that, is, that is weaponized the county department. Same with the CEO's office. They locked us out of our own uh, HR system, computer system, and thought that was real cute. So we couldn't transfer personnel within our own department. Jeez. So, and and you think the motivation? You're you're convinced the motivation for this is is the the the, um, the defund the police kind of the hostility towards uh, police officers that's happened in our culture in the last uh, five or so years, four years. Oh, absolutely. And uh, there, I call it wokeism on steroids, because if you look at their care first, jail last uh, policy countywide. They want to close Men's Central Jail, and I guess they want to vanish 4,500 dangerous uh, felons or suspected felons. They want them to just disappear. Where the hell are they going to go? And the one facility that was dedicated to care for them, the Mental Health Treatment Center, we have to have done a reopen East facility, Mariloma facility, and then we'd have the ability to tear down Men's Central Jail and replace it with another facility that would provide us the capacity to treat inmates with mental illness. And they eliminated everything, and they paid an $80 million penalty to the construction firms that didn't get their work, all to be able to congratulate themselves on how, uh, how compassionate they were, because they really care about inmates. Victims, not so much. Well, how, are you, how, would, how do you hope... How do you wish things were going? You know, when when you got elected, um, you know, I'm sure you had a vision, um, and it sounds like they're standing in the way of, of a lot of the things that you had a vision of. What? Uh, tell us a little bit more about how you envisioned, um, you know, your time in office to be, and how you hope to vision or how you hope your, your vision will go forward. Well, everything that I campaigned on, I've been I've been able to execute. For example, um, the uh, body worn camera system. That was abandoned way back in 2017. They all walked away from it, the previous sheriff and the Board of Supervisors. But I knew that was very important in terms of transparency. So I pushed it. My very first week in office, we mapped out a plan moving forward. I submitted it to the board, and I faced uh, 
It didn't happen until October of 2020 when they finally released the money and we got we started the purchasing. And we could have had that in uh, June of 2019 had they actually helped us. Hmm. But they thought it was important not to allow me to have a political win early on in my career as sheriff. So well, they obstructed all the way. Well, let me let me ask you this, Sheriff, because I know you didn't get in walk into this job blind. You knew the challenges. You knew what an uphill battle it would be. What motivated you? Well, I, the the shape the department was in when I was retiring, I retired uh, for a very sh- short few months in 2018. Oh. But I knew as I was retiring that we were in really bad shape. And my wife and I thought, you know what, well, let's go out in the bank. Let's do what we can to fix the department, get get it back on its feet, and reform, rebuilding, restoring the department to serve the community. And that's exactly what we've been doing since day one. Mm-hmm. And you'd think the Board of Supervisors would be assisting in everything that we're doing. No. Like, for example, when I kicked ICE out of the county jails and I put a moratorium on transfers to ICE for a very specific public safety reason, because I have a million county residents who are undocumented, and if they view local law enforcement as an arm of immigration, well, then they're not going to report being victims of crime. Mm-hmm. doesn't make anybody any safer when you had a million victims sitting around uh, being uh, robbed, raped, and you name it. So. Uh-huh. Okay, so we're going to go to commercial. Yeah. Sheriff, hang out with us for just just a short commercial break, and then I really want to talk to you about your CCW policy. And by the way, it was nice that you included your wife in that decision because that just shows what kind of a man you are. That was awesome. All right, we're going to take a quick break. You listen to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170. The Answer. Welcome back. You're listening to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. Well, self-defense and emergencies can happen to anyone, and there's no guarantee. That's the justice system will be will, will not be on your side. Gun owners should have coverage for the legal battle at you at your self-defense battle, after your self-defense battle. And while you protect your family and property, U.S. Law Shield is here to defend you for 24-7. 365 days a year with a comprehensive self-defense coverage at an affordable price. Bad guys don't take days off, and neither does our coverage. And guess what, Gun Owners Radio listeners? You can get a free T-shirt when you join. Use promo code GUNOWNERSRADIO at uslawshield.com. Okay, we're talking with L.A. County Sheriff Alex Villanueva. You were kind enough, sir, to take some time and and, uh, let us interview you. And uh, it's really been enlightening and and interesting to hear the problems. You're you're not shy about saying, hey, this is what's standing in my way. And what's standing in your way is the County Board of Supervisors of L.A. County. Um, And, uh, you know, you're saying, hey, I had a a plan. I had some things I wanted to implement. I'm a career – law enforcement guy. I want to fix things. I want to make sure that people are protected. And I think that's fantastic. And I really, really appreciate and, and uh, commend you for, for standing up and, and, and doing what you know is right. So where did CCWs fit into that whole plan? Well, I, I took a lot of, uh, got a lot of input during the campaign back in 2018 from the CCW crowd and from uh, Second Amendment enthusiasts. And I always knew it was a source of contention within the department, that it was uh, previous sheriffs, they, they gave it to their buddies or campaign contributors or uh, 
the the high and mighty and uh, judges, and that was about it. No one else. Yeah. And uh, I thought, you know, there should be an actual reason why we give a CCW, and that's because someone is facing a legitimate threat that's quantifiable in some way. And uh, I want to tilt the odds in their favor. And why not? I have the authority. The California Penal Code gives me the authority as sheriff. And uh, we even got rid of the part where you have to go through a uh, an independent police department to get a rejection if you happen to live, for example, and mm. then apply to the sheriff's department. We'll take it directly. And uh, I got no problem with that because I think, uh, one, people travel all over L.A. County and outside of L.A. County, but uh, if there is a condition that causes them to be in fear for their safety and we have a means to get them a little bit extra protection, we can't babysit everyone everywhere. So I thought we can make the good cause an achievable standard. So make the good cause an achievable standard. And now this, what you're saying sounds fairly positive. You have a very fairly positive view of the idea of a sane, trained, law-abiding gun owner being able to carry outside of the home. Do you generally think that, yeah, people who are who you know go through the process um, should be able to uh, to, be, to protect themselves outside of the home? Uh, no, I, I definitely agree. I mean, I'm rolling the dice in the big picture because politically I know there's people just itching to have one of these CCW uh, licensees do something bizarre, and then they'll be beating me over the head with it. But mm-hmm. I'm... Uh, I'm fairly confident that we're issuing the people that are mature can handle the responsibility and safeguard their weapon. And uh, not like a Zachary Farm uh, air back in the day under Baca running around a golf course with a gun. <laughs> so, but this was your decision. This was your policy. You decided this thing, right? You weren't pushed around or made to do this. No, it's my my policy, my decision, and. I take ownership of my decisions as sheriff, and I look out for the best interests of the entire county. Sometimes my decision will upset people on the left. Sometimes they upset on the right, and I get death threats from both sides. So I'm probably where I need to be. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's that's a great thing. You know, honestly, down here in San Diego, we did have to kind of uh, bully the sheriff into issuing. He he really didn't want to. We kind of you know put him put him in a position where. Where, where I think he felt like he needed to politically. It wasn't something that he, he wanted to. But it sounds like with you, you, you listened to the folks and said, yeah, this is going to be a part of my plan, and then implemented it once you got into office. Is that is that fairly accurate? Uh, yes. I, kn- I know I'm not going to convert L.A. County into a shell issue county like the one surrounding me. And uh, Well, you can't. A- yeah, I mean, in California, you always have to require good cause. There's, there's not a single county in California that's truly shall issue, but you're at least making it uh, so that people know the process and can obtain a CCW if they if they go through the uh, take the steps. Is that? Yeah, that's a fair assessment. If you look at uh, since I started, uh, I've received five thousand three hundred eighty-one applications, and then uh, we've we've issued thirteen hundred and twelve since I took office. We had 222 in the hopper, and uh, so we're, we're we're at the right clip. Good for you for doing it. Now, CRPA, do you know who CRPA is? Uh, CRPA, oh, California Rifle and Pistol Association. Yeah, they're they're kind of taking credit for it. Did they they didn't did they push you into this, or was this a decision that you made? My decision. I remember I interviewed with them during the campaign, and they gave me a C grade. <laughs> So I wasn't an A, I wasn't an F, I was kind of right in the middle. 
So, but it, you weren't you weren't bullied into it by CRPA, right? This is, this no, is, I don't. I'm not bullied by anybody to do do anything. If it's the right reason, then I'll do it. I thought if it was weird. Right reason I won't. I thought it was weird that they took credit for it, because um, I know a lot of the stuff that you're telling me is stuff I already know. I mean, you know, people talk and and uh, you know you get a lot of information filtered down. I thought it was weird in an email that they took credit for it. I got an email. Uh, CRPA and our allies convinced the LA sheriff to issue more license. I thought it was weird that they took so much credit for it because I, I, like I said, everything that you just explained was something I'd already heard, you know, second or third hand. It's good to hear that it's, it's confirmed. But again, this was your decision. You made it. You listened to the voters. You listened to your 30 plus years of law enforcement. And you decided, hey, we're going to have CCWs in LA. Oh, that and that works. I mean, you see some of the images on TV now with wanton violence and brazen, you know. Mm-hmm robbery takeovers in broad daylight where people don't even care if there's witnesses and that that's kind of frightening so let's so, tip the odds it is frightening yeah let's tip the odds in their face it is frightening all the things that we've seen i mean i live in east county here in san diego you know a, a city over is la mesa we watched la mesa burn down i mean it was a full-blown riot you and L.A., you guys are no stranger to, to riots. I've heard you've had a few in your in your day. I mean, it really, truly is the big time. It's not like this is some suburb off of there. I mean, you guys are as big as it gets. Now, what advice do you have? If someone lives in L.A. County and they want a CCW, um, what advice do you have for them? Well, first of all, recognize that having a firearm is not a cure-all, that uh, you're going to be safe. Because the introduction of a fire in a home, according to CDC statistics, elevates the risks for actually being used and typically against the homeowner. Uh, either self-inflicted, suicide, domestic violence, whatnot else. But occasionally it does end up being used for the right reasons, which is what our, our goal is. And um, it... Uh, well, well I, I think you rest assured, actually, the... Uh, the numbers are that it's somewhere around two and a half to three million times per year uh, a civilian in the United States, uh, civilian or law enforcement in the United States, uh, uses a firearm to stop some kind of violent attack, whether it's, uh, you know, and that doesn't necessarily mean pulling the trigger. It could be brandishing. It could be just the fact that they right. have a firearm. They stop someone from, you know, attacking or whatever. So it does happen. It's very significant. The numbers are high. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And, uh, it uh, we're tipping in in the in the favor of obviously the law-abiding citizen, and uh, I'll, I'll stay focused on that. Just make sure everybody is trained properly. We do the screening. It takes about sixty days, start to finish, average, and the the lengthiest part of it is waiting on a return on DOJ from the life scan of the prints. I've heard that that's a problem. Now, when you say sixty days, start to finish, your start time is probably what the first interview. It's not, you know, from start. Your start time isn't isn't from the time they they submit the application. It's it's from the time they actually interview. It, it might take a few months at least to get the uh, the first interview. Is that is that accurate? No, no. The na- the number I gave was sixty days, start to finish. So I'm going to assume that means when we receive the application. I get it. I'll tell you, if, if someone's telling you that, Sheriff, that's not accurate. I'm not saying that they're not telling you the truth. I just don't think that's accurate from the back. Uh, the, the feedback I've gotten is that there is a big backlog. It sounds like you guys were really inundated with, uh, with, uh, with applications and that your department is, is uh, doing everything they can. I actually, we, we, we were up at the same conference in Vacaville um, with, with the folks from, from your CCW department, and I know everybody's working really hard to process these. And I, I can't tell you, it, you know, 
I, I haven't seen people. I, I think gun owners have this image that there are people that just don't care, and I, that's not what I found at all. The people processing these CCWs want to do a good job. Uh, they want to get it done efficiently. It's just that you know things are changing so quickly. They're trying to keep up. So if 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 sheriff if if someone's giving you the impression that from the time they they submit the application uh, to the time they actually get the permit in LA that that's sixty days, I I would challenge that and say it's not accurate. But if that's the goal, I, it's achievable. There are a lot of counties out there that do it. I just don't think it's happening what, currently. What's the time LA. frame that you've heard? Over a year. <laughs> Over a year? No, we definitely we're not over a year, not at all. No, we're I, the the two month or six days is a lot closer than the over the year. That was what we actually when we came when I came into office. That was what was going on, mm-hmm. and that we've changed that. We added uh, we more than doubled the size of the the staff that is doing the these uh, backgrounds the CWs. We opened up an office for background investigators up in Santa Clarita to service the North County area. And we're uh, definitely make sure we have people that are 18 players that are hitting the ground running. They're actively uh, getting the right information. I know some of the delays typically is when we're not getting all the stuff in terms of the background investigation information from the applicant. Mm, yeah. That is one. The other one is the DOJ return, the waiting on that. Those are the two reasons that slow things down. And people are pretty uh, expedient when it comes to completing the training. And uh, that, uh, that's where our, our holdup is right now. But the one thing that we ask everyone when they're inquiring about or calling in is just make sure you have your articulate a good reason, good cause. And the business you do that exposes you to an uh, inordinate level of risk, for example, you're a business owner, cash deposits in the bank, real estate uh, agent showing properties in the boonies. I mean, things like that. You've uh, you got the stalker from hell on your case, documented restraining orders against other people that have harmed you. You know, things like that that we can quantify. Okay, those are real easy. You know, I just thought of something, Sheriff. Um, in San Diego and in Orange and in Riverside and in San Bernardino, we actually have come up with individual tools. Uh, I call it my, our good cause worksheet where we – really really spell out this is the information that the sheriff and their and their licensing department needs can i can i create something like that for la and and i, th- I think it's it's helped create uh, a better experience for both sides would you be open to me creating something like that for la county by all means awesome you gotta cook it up and we'll we'll come through it all right well sheriff i appreciate it we're talking with sheriff villanueva from la county thank you so much appreciate everything you're doing for ccws you got it take care all right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. You listen to Gun Owners Radio right here on FM 96.1. The answer. All right, folks, welcome back. You're listening to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. Is the Neo Mag Neo Magnificent? We're going to find out in another Melissa Lee gear review. But first, Blackhound Optics, accurate, affordable, guaranteed sporting optics that go the distance. Backed by customer service that goes that extra mile. Great guys, great products, and a great company that it makes optics affordable. On top of quality optics, they pay close attention to the customer experience. Did you know their scopes come with mounts? 
so you don't have to worry about finding one that fits. We are so excited to have them as an official partner of the show. Ask for them at your local gun store or find them online at blackhoundoptics.com. By the way, all right, Melissa Lee is in the house. Yeah. <laughs> Melissa Lee, is there, now, you're new to the show, right? You've never been here before. I've no, never been here before. New. I'm brand, brand new. Rookie. Welcome back. Always a pleasure. Now, Thank you're doing you. a very cool gear review, right? I am. So, this one is for the concealed carry people. The concealed carry people. The concealed carry people. Um, this one is great. So, pay attention. You guys are going to want to order one of these. So, what is it? everybody here pretty much concealed carries. I yeah. do. Joe okay. definitely does. So how many of you guys uh, carry an extra mag on you? I don't, but I probably should, but I don't right now. Do you carry I don't it? either. I don't carry one. Oh, shame on you. <laughs> I'm looking straight at the camera. Shame on them. They should <laughs> have an extra mag on them. So um, today I am reviewing um, the Neo Mag. It's a magnetic um, mag holster or mag holder, and this thing is super strong. Um, I have the CEO of Neomag with me today, Greg Davis. Are you there? I am. Thank you for joining me. Um, this magnet holder is amazing because let me tell you a story, y'all. Um, one time I jumped out of a truck and I had my extra mag in my pocket hmm. and I came back to the truck and I realized my mag is sitting on in the mud. And I was like, What? I didn't even hear it drop because it, was from, it just fell in the mud. So from then on, I was like, never again will I ever um, not have a Neomag. So I ordered one that day because my mag fell in the mud and I had no idea. It just fell out of my pocket. I like that that was the lesson. How about don't jump out of a truck? What were you doing jumping out of a truck? Oh my Be careful. <laughs> it stopped. No, it, They didn't keep on rolling and I had to jump out. It All was right. like stopped. Okay, right. so That's okay then. So this mag is super strong. These these magnets, are, dude, they're they're strong. Wow. So look at the retention on this, y'all. Look at the retention; like it's not going anywhere. So I can run with it. I've actually put this in my pocket and I've ran with it. Well, I don't really run around like a hippo, but um, you get what I mean. Um, so um, the super strong. So Joe, take a look at it. What do you think? I think it's super strong. I tried this uh, before the show and we were playing around with it. This is actually. Uh, Really nice. I think uh, if I could jump out of my truck anymore, I can't jump anymore. It's uh, my knees don't tolerate jumping out of the <laughs> truck anymore. I climb out of the truck now. But um, but this would hold. This is uh, really impressive. I like this. Yeah. So Greg, tell us how you came about this. Yeah. So when I first started, uh, after I got my concealed carry, and I, I started taking more training, and my instructors were talking about how it's a good idea to carry a spare magazine, not necessarily because you think you're going to get into a thirty-round gunfight, but because you know, uh, the mags are the first thing to malfunction. So it's a good idea to have a backup magazine. So as somebody who is new to concealed carry, um, it just, I didn't want to add anything more to my waistline. You know, it's already hard enough to conceal, um, a, a gun, but then you start adding mags and stuff like that. So the instructor and a lot of people in the class, and then including myself started putting a magazine just loose in our pocket. And I don't know about you guys, but I hate having loose change in my pocket, let alone a loaded, you know, 10 round to 15 round mag in my pocket. So I wanted to figure out a way to add a pocket clip to my magazine. And at the time I was an engineer at a retail display company and we were building huge displays 
that would hold together using magnets. So I knew how strong they were. So I grabbed a magnet, stuck it to my magazine. I was, I was carrying an MP shield at the time. Stuck a magnet to it. Stuck really well. So then I took some sheet metal and bent it up and stuck a magnet inside of it and added a pocket clip to it. And uh, it was pretty crude, but it, it worked. I made a few more for my friends, and they really liked it. And uh, and then I started showing more and more people. And before I know it, I was I was I was selling them as about as fast as I can make them. Yeah, this is like really low profile. You designed this thing where it's like doesn't take up much room at all. So this is a profile picture right here, you guys. I'm holding it. Look how little this sticks out from your pocket. So you can carry something that's pretty sleek. Um, it doesn't protrude too much. Um, you also make other stuff too. So you make not only for, you know, um, semi-auto pistols, um, you do one for revolvers, right? RASC, yeah. revolver ammunition strip concealment. So if you do carry a revolver, there is a special one for um, a strip of rounds for, you know, a revolver, which is kind of neat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, after I making the new mag for a couple of years, I, I've been hearing from people who, who carry a wheel gun and they wanted something to be able to help them. So a lot of those gun owners already have, um, uh, you know, Bianchi makes them tough. There's a lot of companies that make these rubberized strips that you can, that you can put rounds in and then um, it lines up in your cylinders and you, and you peel them off and your rounds stay in there. Well, a lot of those guys are, are, are putting those in the bottom of the pocket or they use like a, like a, like a cell phone pouch or something like that to put those into. Well, I came up with a way to basically add a pocket clip to that. So we CNC machine in-house a two-piece aluminum uh, thing that basically clamps to your speed strip and adds a pocket clip on it. And then, and, you know, so now it's not in the bottom of your pocket. And it's, it's extremely thin and streamlined. It's, it, it conceals really well. You know, I was taking a look at another one of your products that you carry is the Sentry Strap. That thing mm -hmm. is pretty cool. Um, can you tell us more about the Sentry Strap? Yeah, so the Sentry Strap, again, comes from more training that we were doing and also working. And as we're training, we're training with other law enforcement and, and military. Uh, and just and, and just the, the last five years or so, uh, like backpack, uh, you know, uh, guns and rifles have become more popular. And so I wanted a way to be able to stage your my sling. So it, it holds your sling up against your rifle. And a lot of people will just use like a uh, hair tie or a rubber band or something. But in, in training with people who were doing that, they're breaking all the time or they go flying off and then you're trying to find them. So I came up with a way to use elastic and Velcro strap with a magnet embedded in it that wraps around your rifle. Then there's a secondary flat with a magnet in the end of that, that goes over top of your sling and retains your sling. And now, and the nice thing about the center strap is you don't have to manually undo anything to get your sling out. You just grab your sling, pull it, and the magnet, the magnets come apart, and it lets your sling come free. Yep, I saw that video on that, and I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, those just are keeps really it out of the way. Popular. Yeah, and yeah, I like so. your EDC trays too. They're pretty slick. Yeah, yeah, the EDC trays are probably one of my favorite things. It's uh, so we CNC machine those out of a solid plate of aluminum. So these things are extremely well built uh you know they're going to last a long time we actually have have customers say that if they were needed a weapon they can use the tray as a weapon as well and uh <laughs> and so and so we actually have uh inside the tray we use um a real nice thick leather to put inside of the tray so when you're putting your watch or your knife and that sort of thing in there you're not going to scratch anything up but it's uh yeah it's terracotta aluminum then we we also have a brass rod 
that we call a gun hanger. And, uh, and so you can stage your handgun and we, and we recommend if, if it's a chambered gun that you use a, a holster on your gun and then you just hang your gun on that. So it just keeps everything in a nice place and, and all put together. Yeah. I really like this. So, um, since then do you make like custom ones too, don't you for the, um, Neomags as well? Yeah. Yeah. So once a month we do a special custom shop and we have certain themes for them. Some themes will be more military type things. Some, some themes will be St. Patrick's or, or just whatever. If there's a holiday that month, a lot of times we, we'll, we'll try to make a centric to that. But uh, outside of that, we will do uh, different themes for that each month just to kind of mix it up and keep things interesting. Yeah. This clip right here, if you guys are worried about this, folks, this is really strong. So at first I was having a hard time um, putting this on, like, my pants or my belt or whatever because it was so tight. And then you told me the pinch method, so now now I got it down. Um, there you go. So I can yeah, open so that, it up a little bit more. Um, but it's strong. It's not going anywhere. It's not yeah, and, going and that, anywhere. And that clip is actually titanium. We actually hand bend those on a break one at a time. Uh, and it's a titanium. And we use titanium because it's, it's extremely strong, lightweight, um, and it, it keeps its shape. Because that, that pinching uh, action is extremely important to make sure that your neomag stays put in your pocket and that it, it can't come out. Yeah, it actually does work really well. Um, so lifetime warranty, correct? Absolutely. You make different sizes. So this size is for like single stack. Um, this is for my MMP Shield 9. So you make a different version for a Glock because it's a little deeper, correct? So it doesn't matter uh, single stack or double stack. Uh, it, so we have three sizes, large fits 45 and, uh, and 2011, okay. medium fits 9 millimeter and 40, and small fits 380. So that's that's really all you need to know as far as sizing goes. Then if you have a Glock mag that you like to carry a lot, we came out with a, we call it the Type G. There's two magnets in that one. Oh, uh, it, it, for people that don't know, the Glock mags actually do have a steel liner. There's just a polymer layer over it. So we so we use two magnets just, just to give a little extra strength through that, that polymer layer into the steel liner. And that's great. That's what I was going to ask. What, what was there for us Glock uh, owners? Since uh, yep. now maybe it, it may be uh, that I should be carrying an extra magazine. <laughs> now yeah. uh, you might have something for me. There you go. And then we also have two different clip lengths as well. We have a, uh, just a, a shorter clip, so that's, that's going to work best with your flush bottom magazines. And then we have an extended clip if you have a plus two, plus three, whatever, or you just want some more concealment with your flush uh, bottom magazine. So lots of options. So these retail, they're reasonable. They work. I've had mine for, mm, I think, a year and a half now I've had this thing. Maybe. I think it's been maybe a year. Um, but retailing for $39.99 to $49.99, depending on which version you get, correct? Correct. All right. And you know what? He gave us a discount code, guys. So, Joe, if you want to get one, um, if you want to save 10%, go to neomag.com. and use Neomag. Oh, sorry. TheNeomag.com. <laughs> and um, use code GUNOWNERSRADIO10 to save 10% off. Thank you so much, Greg, for coming on with us and nope. um, introducing us to the Neomag. No problem. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. All right, folks. Don't go anywhere. Next, coming up, Gene James, San Clemente City Council, right here on Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1. AM 1170, The Answer.
right, folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. So did you know that we have a Second Amendment sanctuary city here in Southern California? So that's right, San Clemente declared itself a Second Amendment sanctuary city. Gene James is on to uh, talk about it. But first, did you know law-abiding gun shops and manufacturers had their accounts shut down because companies like Shop, Shopify and PayPal think guns are inappropriate? Well, shutting down lawful businesses is wrong, which is why we are so excited to welcome 365 Glacier Payments as a 10-ring partner. 365 Glacier Payments specializes in serving companies in the firearm industry. So if you have a firearm business and accept credit cards, give them a call today so you can enjoy the peace of mind that your accounts won't be shut down and also enjoy the best rates. Visit their website at 365glaciorpayments.com. All right. There is a beautiful little town just north of uh, San Diego in Orange County, uh, right on the beach called San Clemente. It's very, very beautiful. Nice little nice little place. Um, really cool city. And recently, one of their city council members, uh, council member Gene James, introduced and got past a uh, Second Amendment sanctuary city measure. So we wanted to have uh, Gene come on and talk to us about it. Gene, are you there? I'm here, Michael. How, How are, you are you today? Fantastic. I'm- Fellow Red Dawn aficionado, right? Oh, no. <laughs> Not another one. <laughs> Avenge me. There you go. Oh, here we go. Thank you so much for uh, for introducing uh, the Second Amendment Sanctuary City Resolution. You want to talk a little bit about it? Yeah. You know, one of the things that people came to me on, not people, outside agitators, uh, moms demand, demanding action, that kind of group, calls themselves a grassroots organization, but they took $50 million from Michael Bloomberg to be gun grabbers. They said, this is none of the city's business. Au contraire, it is the city's business. I took an oath of office to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And I see it. I see our Second Amendment rights under attack every day at the state level. And, you know, I could just name five or six state bills in the past year that have taken away our, our, our gun rights. One of them actually for, for uh, what is it? AB 2847, for every gun added to the California approved roster, they have to take three guns off. Yeah. Just things like that, ending the $100 cap on the CCW, and the, the, the list goes on and on. Our Second Amendment rights are under attack federally at the state level. And local government just sits there with their hands in their pocket, shrugging their shoulders. And to me, enough is enough. We're going to have to fight this. Uh, and and the, way, the way I put it, we need to fight so hard. We're like the third monkey getting on Noah's Ark, and it's starting to rain. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gene, why? Why is it important? Why is the Second Amendment important to you specifically? That's, that's a great question, Michael. You know, it's the one amendment that it, at the end of the amendment, it says, shall not be infringed. So obviously, the framers thought 
that this was probably the most important right they were giving us when 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 they when they they wrote the bill of bill of rights and then you compare what's happening today where our we have a governor that released 20,000 felons on the streets during the first months of covid and now is releasing another 76,000 felons onto the streets we see the ever growing number of what people want to call homeless i call them criminal vagrants and what we see among them is mental health issues, severe mental health issues, drug addiction, and they're a threat to our, to our citizens, they're a threat to our community, and someone has to draw a line somewhere and say the rights of our citizens far outweighs the rights of those who want to harm us. So when, I got to tell you, you were gracious enough to sit down and, and, uh, and talk with me um, and uh, at a nice little place in, in San Clemente. And no sooner did, did you and I sit down and talk, and Wendy was there, um, the three of us sat down to talk, and uh, some stranger came up just to thank you for, for passing this resolution. I think he was a stranger. I don't know. I don't, I don't think you knew him, but he, he was a stranger to me. And he, he walked up and just, you know, for a couple minutes just said, hey, I just wanted to say thank you. This was amazing. How has the feedback been since you got this passed? I will be pumping gas and someone will drive by and they'll honk their horn and they'll say, Gene James, Second Amendment. Or I'll get a horn honk you know, from the surfer dude with the, with the, with the thumb and the, the little pinky. Yeah, the shaka. The, the shaka, thank you. And I walk down the street on Avenida Del Mar, which is, is our main street. And people will cross the street to shake my hand. Uh, I walk into restaurants, and people come up to me and say, thank you. We have, we have you know, President Nixon, you know, and this was his hometown. Yep. Uh, President Nixon had this term about, about the silent majority. There is a silent majority as it relates to, to gun rights. Mm. Well, I think you're right. I don't think people really, if you ask 100 people in California, I don't think that they would have this impression of San Clemente like it's a – you know, some kind of Second Amendment, you know, hotbed. Um, I, I think it's just a pretty normal, you know, Southern California beach town. And the reason I wanted to ask you about people's reaction is, first off, I was really impressed when, when you know, geez, we just sat down and, and somebody came in. I don't know, maybe you planted that guy. Maybe you slipped that guy a 50 or something because you knew you were meeting with a guy. <laughs> no, no, no. But he, I was really impressed that he came up and, and did that. But I think it's important. To show that, hey, look, you know, Gene James, you know, stuck it out there, did something, and is being rewarded for it politically and from the community. Too many elected officials are terrified, scared of their own shadow half the time, but terrified to stand up for something that people believe in. And I hope this gives them strength. And I think that was part of your uh, part of your motivation. That was completely part of my motivation. You know, the Republican Party has given lip service to the Second Amendment long enough. We need to start calling out these, these, these office holders and telling them they need to step up to the plate and not only say they're Second Amendment proponents, but actually do something about it. And, you know, there are too many, and I, 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 I don't want to use a pejorative term here, but there are too many country club Republicans yeah. who simply do not want to step up for the the rights of the people 
if I can just make one more political statement, what we have seen in the past generation, I, excuse me, in the past four or five years, is Republican Party, the, 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 the people, the voters within the Republican Party, not quite all the leadership yet, has gone from being a party of Wall Street to we're a party of Main Street, yeah. Main Street. And, you know, what do you mean by that? Explain to what if, if someone's wondering what you mean by that specifically, or maybe if someone's listening and they disagree, tell them what you mean by that, because I agree. It is, you know, we have become a, a party that no longer uh, is bowing to the interest of, of, of Fortune 500 companies, no longer bowing to, to, to the interest of big developers. We're, we are we have become the party of people who are invested in our communities, who are invested in small business. Um, and I think we see that more and more. You only have to look at, at the national level where where money comes from into the DNC. You only have to look at, at the Michael Bloomberg Bloomberg's of the world giving $50 million to moms demanding action. And I had about 55 of those, those ladies. Uh, they didn't have polite terms for me, but I'll have a polite term for them. I had about 55 of these ladies who were, you know, yelling and screaming at me at our city council meeting. And uh, it's, it, I just want to say that we're becoming the party of mainstream America. Amen. Now, speaking of, of women and, and the Second Amendment, uh, Orange County gun owners just launched their Not Me OC, their women's program, and you actually were the only elected official who promoted it, and you actually went out of your way and, and made a little video and, and, and talked about it on the, on, the, on the launch day. Why was that important to you? I think we have to become, a, as gun owners, we have to become a bigger tent. Not only with not only with women, but when you when when you look at the number of hate crimes that are out there, whether it's Asian hate crime, gay hate crime, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of anti-Semitic hate crime, and these are groups that we need to bring into our tent and say, brother and sister, we're one with you, and I think that's very important. With, with the women thing, I mean traditionally. Women have not been big gun gun owners and users, and I think promoting that among women who are who are the most vulnerable of our population, and having them to be trained, to be armed and ready, is is a key component to uh, to I think what you're doing as, as gun owners of Orange County. Awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough for all that you're doing. You're also going to be our uh, Orange County gun owners is having our, our month. We're having our monthly meeting at Artemis in Lake Forest a week from Wednesday. So that's the 25th of August. Check out ocgunowners.com if you're interested in details. Uh, it's, it's free to join us. And you can come out, meet Gene, thank him. You're going to be our guest speaker, right? Absolutely. I'll be there. Thank you for all you're doing. Appreciate it. All right, thank folks. You. Don't touch that dial. As you want to stick around, the next segment we have the ever-lightning Joe Germisi on FM 96.1 AM 1170. The Answer!
Welcome back to Hour 2 of Gun Owners Radio with your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Germisi, and Michael Schwartz. Visit GunOwnersRadio.com with your questions and comments or to learn how to become a sponsor of the show. Time to get involved and get active. Together, we will win. Now here's Dave, Joe, and Michael on The Answer San Diego. All right, folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170. The Answer. Okay, you've heard all about bump stocks. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, making a case for bump stocks with Joe a little bit later here. All right. Hey, well, maybe you've heard of Mike Lindell and MyPillow. Well, his company was banned because he stands against the cancel culture mob. Our freedom of speech is just as important as our freedom of self-defense. We are thrilled to be to support an American company like MyPillow. So go to MyPillow.com. And use the code FREEMARKET3 and you'll get 66% off America's best pillow. Get a great night's sleep and enjoy the satisfaction of supporting companies fighting against cancel culture. That's MyPillow.com and use the code FREEMARKET3. All right, Mr. Dramisi, I thought this bump stock thing was dead. Um, yeah, and it's, um, well, it's not actually dead. There's a... Uh, you know, writing about the uh, the case against bump stocks because it's not about the bump stock; it's about the the lawsuit and the legal challenge, which is much bigger than just bump stocks. Because when this happened, um, if you remember back in uh, March of 2019, the ATF decided that they were going to redefine a bump stock as a machine gun, yeah. and then treat it that way, and which means that uh, you know they banned the possession of bump stocks. And if you possess a bump stock and you get caught with it, the fine, the maximum is $250,000 and 10 years in prison or both of those wow. um, because they've decided that this piece of plastic is actually a machine gun. Gotcha. So, um, and I didn't, you know, and I, I had a really, a, a really stupid attitude toward this when it happened. And just like a lot of gun owners have, and it's a stupid attitude. But I looked at it and said, eh, it's a bump stock. Who cares? Hardly anybody uses it. I was going to say, who uses things. it? Yeah. And, you know, they're claim in the lawsuit, they claim about 500,000 gun owners have those, which still, if there's 150 million gun owners, you know, it's still less than a percent. But, um, and I thought, eh, who cares about that? And you can't think that way. It's a dumb way to think because these anti-gun people of, of which the ATF is, I mean, it's like, as Michael always says, they're a predatory agency. Mm -hmm. They're not. They're 100%. Not, yeah, they're not a legitimate agency that's there to fight crime. They're there to hurt people. Mm -hmm. And uh, they will not stop. These anti-gun people absolutely will not stop. Oh, you, no. you cannot feed the beast enough to, to make them happy. So you should not ignore that kind of stuff. So um, Gun Owners of uh, America and the Gun Owners Foundation brought a lawsuit against those to challenge that, or against the ATF to challenge that. And what they were challenging, what they were saying was um, – ATF did not have the authority to redefine a, a law, basically, from Congress and just um, say that, okay, you're now we're defining this uh, piece of plastic as a machine gun. Because it's based on the, um, what, the, uh, what is it, the um, Firearms Act, National Firearms Act uh, from 1934. And then, you know, it was revised again. There's another flavor of it from 68 and again, I think, in 84. That's the thing that controls the machine guns and makes them illegal. And, um, you know, it has to do with the separation of powers because the, the Congress writes the laws, the executive branch is supposed to implement the law, and then the judicial branch is supposed to interpret the law. And ATF just went along and just essentially wrote law, basically, is what they did. And um, they based that on a legal 
term that really didn't apply to them, or at least according to, to Gun Owners of America and uh, the Gun Owners Foundation. So what happened was it went to court and probably, um, I'm not sure when the court ruling was, I think it was probably back in, uh, in 2020. Um, but the, um, it went to court and what they were asking for was an injunction to, to suspend that basically and say, no, you can't do that. And the judge ruled against them. So they appealed it. Um, and they appealed it to the, uh, the sixth circuit court and a three judge panel on the sixth circuit just recently, just a couple of days ago, uh, ruled that no, in fact, a piece of plastic or a bump stock is not a machine gun. And, uh, you know, they held for them. So now ATF is, um, ATF has uh, appealed to that, and they want an, an en banc hearing from the whole Sixth Circuit, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because the Sixth Circuit's uh, reasonably conservative. Um, I think the breakdown, I think there's 11, I think it's 11 Republican-appointed justices on there and uh, five Democrats, something like that. So they're reasonably conservative. So, you know, chances are, are reasonable that they'll rule uh, according to the Constitution. But why it's important, it's not important for bump stocks so much. It's important to rein in that kind of an agency mm -hmm. to say, no, you cannot do that. This right. is based on, on something that's false. And um, it's interesting, the um, 18 uh, attorneys general uh, from 18 different states uh, wrote an amicus brief and submitted that in, in support of uh, gun owners, the gun owner's position, uh, which is really nice. I, I, um, I linked to it in the, uh, in the article, and it's, uh, it's really enlightening, the, you know, the approach they take. And they explain why... Um, you know, ATF does not have the authority <laughs> to do that. So it looks pretty good. But again, the reason to do that, or the reason the, um, the lawsuit's so important, it's not for bump stocks. It's, it's taking away that ability of an agency like the ATF to just essentially write laws, to interpret things the way they want to. And, you know, if you think about a bump stock, I mean, it's not, uh, you know, it, it's idiotic to think that it's to call it a machine gun. Well, why you know, don't you explain what is a bump stock? I was just getting to that. Outstanding. Okay. <laughs> Good lead-in question. Gosh, so, I couldn't wait. Yeah, what it is, it's it's a uh, essentially it's a new stock. You replace the stock on your long gun with this bump stock. And what it does is it allows you to bump fire. And bump firing is a technique that's been around for as long as they've had semi-automatic long guns. And what it is essentially is it, it allows the gun to move against the stationary finger. So you put the bump stock on there, you hold the gun, you shoot the gun, but you keep the um, you keep your fingers still. So what happens is the recoil pushes the gun back against the bump stock. The bump stock sends it forward. That coming forward, it pushes the trigger against your stationary finger, and it allows you to increase the rate of fire. So that's but what I heard. It is. The accuracy is terrible. Well, it, it it depends. I mean, it's not you know it depends on how you do it because the the thing is you don't need a bump stock to do this. You know, you can do this with a rubber band. You can do this with a belt loop. You can do this just by holding the gun loosely. If you look on YouTube, you'll see a bunch of videos of people doing that. And so, you know, to say that this bump stock is a machine gun and to criminalize this behavior, you know, just overnight. dollars yeah. Yeah, and that's the, um, you know, and that's the really important thing because if they could win this suit, um, then, you know, that, that really goes a long way in reining in these agencies but like But does ATF. it end there if they win this one? Well, again, you never know. What would happen if it goes to the, the full Ombach hearing and if they rule in favor of them, you know, I suppose ATF would appeal again. I guess they can always do that. It could go all the way to the Supreme Court. So, I'm, you know, it's, it's speculation, right? Well, and one of the other problems is if this goes through uh, successfully, really any high-quality trigger that's trying to improve your, mm -hmm. your shot or any kind of 
you know, adjustable um, right. uh, trigger that's looking to improve your shot could be defined the same way. See, and that's why this is important. That's why it's it's not just the bump stock thing, but but you can't you can't take it lightly like that either. I was mistaken for doing that. And that's a foolish thing to Don't do. Never do that again. I, well, I'm gonna try not to. But. I think I think most gun owners consider that. I, I and and Joe makes a really important point. Most gun owners consider bump stocks a novelty, you know, ridiculous. You know, most serious gun owners, you don't use it for self-defense. You don't use it for. Do you have one? You know, I've no, I've never no. But, um, and I certainly wouldn't say I have one now. There, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I've never. Uh, I don't have one. But uh, that's not the point. The point is uh, what could happen if they end up banning this thing, or if they have the ability to ban this thing. And you know, people say, "Hey, gee, you know, can't you guys, uh, you know, be reasonable? Can't gun owners be reasonable? If this thing's ridiculous, why not ban it?" Well, you can't just ban something because you don't like it. You think it's ridiculous, and when when and just because you don't own one or, or even really uh, approve of one, you know, you still got to stand up against this kind of government intrusion. You know, it's I wonder one what the, you get for a buyback. You get one hundred and fifty bucks. A skateboard, I think, or a skateboard. <laughs> yeah, I don't I know. Mean, since it's a machine gun, doesn't that rate right up there with the biggest yeah. uh, buyback? Was it hundred and a half? Should be higher value, you would think. That's what I'm thinking. Think. Can't buy back your liberty, I'll tell you that. No, 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 no. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, but don't go anywhere because we've got uh, Brian Allendorf. Uh, yeah, Brian Allendorf. Allendorf, okay. He's a medical trainer, and we're going to talk with him after the break about tactical combat casualty care on FM 961 AM 1170. The Answer. folks welcome back you are listening to gun owners radio fm 961 am 1170 the answer here from academy <laughs> southwest is brian allendorf to talk about tccc tactical combat casualty care but first <laughs> prmi mortgage oh i'm sorry don't mind me <laughs> This is like watching a uh, like the, like a horrible tennis match. It's really Why back and back more. Nobody hitting the ball. Well, hey, I seen a picture of me and my salt. That's all well, by all means. PrimeRes.com/slash/alpine. Are you in the military looking for help for a VA loan, or if you're looking to buy or refi, or if you're just considering a reverse mortgage, call our local mortgage guy that you can trust. Call Chris Wiley at PRMI Mortgage. For nearly 25 years, Chris has been helping local San Diegans. With all their mortgage needs, give Chris a call at 619-722-1303 or go to primerez.com slash alpine. And by the way, I'm getting flies in the air now, so I don't want to hear nothing out of you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> all right, Brian, are you there? Yes, sir. How are you? Okay, I'm great. Welcome to the circuit. Uh, I mean, the show. Hey, so, uh, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> hey, Brian, do you have a salt gun? No, I do not. You got to get one, dude. You can take a fly out like nobody's business. Yeah, air, air shots are hard. It, it's air shots are hard. I'm getting good at that, but they're great. So, Brian, you're going to talk to us about tactical combat casualty care. So, um, what is that for people that don't know? So, there's a couple different versions. So, you're talking about tactical casualty combat care um, comes in a for, there's a whole bunch of different courses with it. Um, tactical casualty combat care, TC3, as most people refer to it. 
is a really good class for military, law enforcement, federal agents, my first responders, my firefighters, paramedics. Um, then there's a, another version of it, um, kind of the same curriculum, different scenarios of TECC, so Tactical Emergency Casualty Care. That's really good for our gun owners that are listening. So, and that's what I was going to ask you, so that you're offering a class that's more geared toward the civilian end of that? We do, and it's it's really based around the scenarios because um, they, they're going to be a little different than what my military, federal agents, stuff like that are going to encounter, most likely. So what can you tell us about the class then? What does that encompass in terms of, you know, like the theory part, the hands-on part? What are you guys teaching? Yeah, so the hands-on, the way we do it, we try to do about 90% hands-on, um, minimal PowerPoint because people don't like them. Um, so it's mainly hands-on. Uh, the in the TC3, it'll get into, you know, we'll get into suturing, we'll get into wound control, we'll get into tourniquets, how to stop gunshot wounds, we'll get into uh, doing a cryic, right, an emergency airway, we'll do needle decompressions. We'll do some more, like, pretty advanced medical care um, than what the TECC will, but TECC will cover a lot of the same topics as well. And so what, you know, people that are coming in, um, you know, for the class, what do they need to know? Or is it appropriate for, you know, people with with no background at all in first aid or EMS stuff? Yeah, that's one of the big um, misnomers, right? Just because someone's in the military and law enforcement doesn't mean they have a good medical background. You could come in, uh, really, all we ask for is you have a good attitude, and you're going to walk away with a ton of knowledge. And because the uh, and this is a uh, the thing you're teaching too is a it's a national program is that right? Because I was looking um, I was kind of researching it a little bit earlier, and uh, it looks like a lot of it was put together from what we've learned um, in the field I guess over the last twenty years uh, with the combat stuff, and then maybe adjusted a little bit for uh, EMS people at home and then for civilians. Correct. So it's our, our certifications are through NAEMT. Um, so anybody who's a paramedic knows that knows that site too or. Uh, an EMT. But yeah, what happens and the reason it's so current is they're constantly updating their curriculum based on what's happening overseas. Um, and I have a couple active duty members on staff. So I get that information as fast as anybody because they'll come back from a deployment and then they go, we got a whole bunch of new stuff to show you. Um, and the, the curriculum is constantly changing, constantly evolving. And I think that's important so we don't get cut in to uh, this is how we've always done it because there's always a better way to do something. Yeah, and I was looking at the um, kind of the curriculum, or at least an outline of it, a little bit earlier, and it looked like um, they cover quite a bit because uh, you know I, I had my EMT cert for like twenty five years, and uh, you know every two years you had to go back through the recertification, and it looked real similar to um, to what we did. You know, it, it it was a you know a combat trauma kind of thing, but there was a lot on there of uh, with medical emergencies and just a lot of the good basic stuff. You know, in addition to the trauma stuff on there, so it looked like a pretty good program. Yeah, it's, it's very in-depth. There's a lot of information. TC3 is a three-day course. Um, we have had some clients that requested a five-day custom, an eight-day custom, because there's so much information that can be put out. It, we kind of tailor it to the client. We also have an off-road racing team in town that we did. we're doing a, uh, a TECC forum because of, they do like Baja races and stuff like that. So we can even tailor the training to your specific needs if, if that's what you need. I thought you were saying that Academy had an off-road racing team that you guys were sponsoring or something. I didn't. 
I'm, I'm down I for wish. that. How do we do that? <laughs> I, I wish. I wish. I don't give out client names, but we do have a, a professional off-road racing team in town, and that we're uh, we're training their their crew for like Baja races and stuff, and that's that's pretty cool too. So it it's not only military and law enforcement; it's applicable every day. So Brian, what does your like? If you were to break down your three-day course that you're teaching, um, mm-hmm. what's that look like? Like, describe a little bit about day one, and then day two, and then day three. What could, what would a um, a student expect? Yeah, so breaking it down, day one is going to be the nuts and bolts of the information. So we're going to cover terminology, so you can speak intelligently, uh, some basic anatomy. We're going to break down a lot of that stuff. The, the basic stuff of bleeding control will probably happen on day one, maybe some splinting, depending on what you need. Day two is going to be more hands-on, so we'll get into suturing. Um, you know, if you need to stitch somebody up, we'll get into we've done mobile blood banks, get into uh, advanced tourniquets, a lot of movement, so how to move your patient, especially in a, in a combat environment or for our law enforcement in an um, active shooter environment, get to move people. So we get into movement. And then kind of day three, we bring it all together with, with the scenarios. So we'll actually have role players come in and we'll have different emergency scenarios for them to have to figure out. So, Brian, um, the TECC class, that would be good yep. for just basic gun owners or shooters, correct? I think TECC is good for your average gun owner, absolutely. Um just because uh, I live in San Marcos and I drive all the way down to the border and there's so many accidents, right? And I wonder how many people drive by and, and don't stop. I probably stop for an accident at least once every two months. Um, wow. it, it's, it's fairly frequent, right? Um, but TECC is perfect for your gun owner, your concealed carry person, someone who just owns a gun, even if you don't have a CCW. In fact, it's good for really anybody to have some medical knowledge. So, and Brian, do you guys go through and talk about, uh, like, a kit? You know, what's a good kit to have? What what should be in it for, say, in the car or different things like that? Sure. Yeah, we get into it, and a lot of it depends on you get into legalities. Because in TC3, um, for military members, for instance, they might be able to push medic- certain medications. Because um, they can in the military under military care, but as a civilian, you can't. So we get into what you should have, what you can legally have. Um, so you don't violate any, any kind of rules or laws. Um, but yeah, we'll get into a basic, basic kits, um, for everybody. So everyone's a little different. Some people might want to, you know, basic tourniquet is what I consider minimum, but uh, I want gloves and CPR masks and the whole nine yards with mine. Hey Brian, what's an example of, of something you might carry that, you know, would put you in, in the category of being illegal? Um, medications. Oh, okay. So there's a lot of medications that you're able to have in a military kit because you're not falling under any kind of – it's different in a combat zone of what they'll allow you to do. That's life over limits happening right now. But in a civilian world, if I even if I know how to administer a medicine um, and I did it, I could be sued for it. So I, I don't mess around with medicines at all in a civilian loadout. We know it's interesting that you guys. Uh, I think it's great you guys go over the legal aspects of it too, because usually as a civilian, you know, you're you're protected by the Good Samaritan rules. But once you have training, like we used to talk about that as, as EMTs, you know, you can't go beyond your level of training. You can't do anything that's beyond, even if you know, you know, maybe how to do things like that. 
And, uh, you know, that kind of stuff's not, not always obvious. So it's, it's great that you go through and, and talk about those uh, sorts of things. Cause I knew, uh, I knew EMTs that would say they, they intentionally would not stop because of the, the legal liability and the, the lawsuits and things like that. Yeah. I, uh, my wife's a physician and she won't for that reason, because, you know, she's not covered under, under that, um, good Samaritan law. She's kind of covered under her license. So if something goes wrong or goes sideways, then she's up for a lawsuit. So your average civilian, we're, we're much better off in that aspect. But then if we, you know, if we, it won't, it won't hold the court of law. If I go, well, I learned how to administer certain medications in a type of medical class because, then under California law, I'm not allowed to do it. And that even changes with what EMTs and paramedics can do from state to state. Um, EMTs here, I don't believe, can push med- medicine, but paramedics can push certain ones. Um, in other states, that flexibility is much greater. So we kind of try to keep it in California centric. That's where most of our clients are from. But yeah, med- medicine is, uh, or, you know, different medicines that you can give to people, that, that would be a real big uh, red flag if, if something went wrong. I think it's a really good point about the auto accidents, especially in Southern California. I've stopped for auto accidents before, and it's, uh, I, I, you know, one in particular years ago, it, it, it's it's jarring. It can be very, depending on, of course, the severity of the auto accident, but this one was severe. It is jarring, and it's especially jarring if you don't know what you're doing. Um, but the idea of not knowing what you're doing when you could have known what you're doing and being able to save someone's life, you know, um, it's, what are, what are, that's a really important class. I think, you know, the way we, we talk about uh, first aid, it has, has to do with guns a lot because it's a gun show. Um, and I work for a gun organization. We do a lot of gun training, but, um, there's a lot of uses for this. And I thought that was a, a really, really good point. Yeah. And you know, we got a lot of gun owners, heaven forbid you have to use that thing. Now it's going to look much better in your court of law. Cause we're going to go to court as a civilian. If we have to use our weapon in self-defense, if we can administer first aid immediately after, after everything's said and done, we're good. Now we can administer first aid and maybe save that person's life or, or add more to it. All right, Brian. Hey, thanks a million for calling in. Give your website out one time. Uh, it's different. It's www.constellis.com. All right, buddy. Have a good week, folks. Don't go anywhere. Wendy Hoffman is, uh, is, call, is calling in. She's an instructor trainer for active self-protection right here on Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170. The answer. Hi, right, folks. Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961. AM 1170, The Answer. So you might remember how we did cover your ASP week uh, earlier this year with active self-protection. ASP uh, also does instructor training, and our very own Wendy Chow Hoffman has returned from their class and is on the line to talk about it. But first, we are very proud to partner with the National Concealed Carry Association as a 10-ring partner. NCCA exists to serve the Second Amendment community by providing a nationwide network of 2A advocates. They offer elite self-defense and concealed uh, carry training from the nation's top instructors. And they provide rock-bottom prices on the best selection of gear and accessories. You can learn a whole lot more at the National Concealed Carry Association 
com. Now, why can't we do lead-ins that perfectly every time? That almost that looked like we have a radio show. That was really good. Yeah, Appreciate it, guys. It wasn't much Start fun, though. With me. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are just making me look good in front of my boss here. Yes, you are. Speaking of my boss, Wendy Hoffman on the line. If you guys remember, we, we frequently have uh, um, John Correa from Active Self-Protection on, and he is a wealth of knowledge. Active Self-Protection has a really cool training program uh, that is – you know, for people that want to be firearms instructors, but it's really intense and very, very thorough. And Wendy is currently going through that. She's the CEO of San Diego County Gun Owners, and she just uh, spent a weekend in, uh, was it South Dakota, Wendy? Yes, it was. South Dakota. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So tell us all about uh, ASP and their training program. Sure. So it is a six-month-long um, six month long course. Um, it requires reading books and writing papers. Um, and I just returned from our in-person session uh, this past weekend, which marks just almost halfway point. Um, and it was really, really fantastic. Now, what, what makes theirs uh, different from any other, you know, what, what makes them unique and what makes them special and good? That's a great question. So the program is actually very little about firearms and firearms training. Um, so, you know, we spent three days together and we, there was a lot of talk about guns and, and a lot of camaraderie over guns we liked and we didn't like, but the program actually focuses on adult learning um, and how to better reach our students and make an impact in their lives. I think we all know what gun you said you like and don't like. So we're, I mean, we're, we're not even going to get into that. Not on this show. All right. So, I mean, you've been, uh, you know, a uh, an instructor for years, right? How, when when did you get certified to be to be a firearms instructor? Um, 2014, I think. 2014. So you've been a, yeah. an instructor for years. You've taught a ton of students. Black Cat Firearms is the name of your uh, your the company that you you do a lot of instruction. Of course, you're also um, a chapter leader for Well Armed Woman, right? I am, yes. And you're the founder and creator and uh, head honcho of Not Me, Not Me SD, and Not Me Riverside, Not Me Orange County. So you have a ton of experience. I mean, you've actually created programs, you've taught people, you've done a ton. So what what did you gain you. from uh, active self protection? Or what so are you gaining? It, You're not done yet, but what are you gaining yeah, from I'm, it? That's true. I'm not quite done yet, but it is a really interesting perspective on how to better meet our students where they are. You know, everyone comes in to a training from a different place, and so we we really did a lot of deep diving into how to better um, how to better meet them where they are and how to really be able to connect with them at a really deep level, even in something as simple as a basic pistol course. And there I mean there are volumes of books written on adult learning and teaching adults. It's a whole different it's a whole different thing. So it's I would imagine a lot of the focus was on you know how do you how do you deliver a message? How do you deliver a message to an adult? especially with something as important as firearms training. 
Um, you, you know, what, what, what is different about teaching an adult or, or what's something you picked up about, uh, you know, firearms instruction uh, with, from ASP so far? Well, I mean, you know, we, we come into a class as an instructor, you come in and you, you want to make sure that you're presenting the information that you want to get across. Now, the thing that is different with adult learning is that we all have different experiences that affect how we absorb information and how, um, and how to, to better really take that information and, and take it with us on the road as students. So, you know, we might have um, students who are really just curious about firearms and really want to get a new hobby. We, we might have somebody who, um, who had a scary experience. Maybe she had her house broken into or, um, or was attacked on the street. You know, there, there's so many different places that people are coming from and different experiences that people have had that are changing how they're listening to the information that we're giving them. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's one of the things, so, you know, we do our, our uh, shooting socials, and we have a, a, a general shooting social for anybody. We have uh, our Not Me shooting socials, which is typically for women, and then this morning we did our Guns and Moses shooting social, which is for a, a Jewish shooting group, and they, they pull people from all the synagogues all over San Diego. And I tell the instructor, or not instructors, the mentors, um, you know, hey, this is a little bit different than than the general shooting socials because they're really there. It's more of a purpose driven education. Uh, it's more of a purpose driven. The guns and Moses ones, right? Yeah, the guns and Moses. I mean, they're truly. They're not just there to. Hey, this might be fun. They're there because they believe that one day they're going to have to defend their lives. Mm-hmm. And and the difference in how you interact with that person and how you interact with the person who's just like that eh, sounds fun. I'll try shooting a gun. You know, it's it's huge. What advice would you have? You know, somebody, uh, maybe somebody at the shooting socials that helps us out, or maybe uh, maybe you're just somebody listening and you, and you take your neighbors or coworkers or whatever to the range. What what's some advice you have? Something that you learned from ASP or just something from your from your background in history? What's some advice you have when you're when you're working with somebody brand new? I think it's important to understand why they're there. You know. Um, this is something that I think a lot of instructors gloss over. It's really easy to say, oh, okay, you really want to, you want to come in and learn how to shoot a gun. And that's, that's as far as they get. But when you dive into that just a little bit more, and it only takes a couple of minutes, you know, maybe two, three, sometimes five minutes to really figure out what their purpose is behind being there. It really changes how you approach it. And it changes the language that you use, you know, whether you address, um, you know, how, how to approach a self-defense incident versus, hey, this is, this is what you would commonly see when you go, you know, target shooting at the range. Those are two entirely different focuses that I might completely miss if I don't take just a few minutes to really understand what the student is really looking for out of the class. Yeah, I, you know, watching these shooting socials, uh, you know, short of some of the biggest trainers out there um I, I think i've had the pleasure in the last six years of san diego county gun owners of watching more students learn than anybody i know frankly you know maybe short of john korea or you know some of these big time guys it's enormously rewarding it's enormously rewarding 
I've, I've never really seen a, a bad experience, and I think we've we've had, I don't know, Wendy, how many? I think we it's safe to say we've had thousands of people go through these shooting socials. We do a lot of them. We do a lot of them, and I've seen yes, a lot do. of them. I don't do all of them, but I've seen a whole lot of them. And, um, you know, the ability to not just show people, hey, this is a gun and here's a trigger and this is where a magazine goes, but the ability to really connect with somebody and figure out what their motivation is and why are they there and what's important to them makes that even, uh, you know, even even better. I guess is 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 what I'm trying to say. What, what's your if you had to think back? I'm putting you on the spot. Um, if you had to think back, what, what's your most rewarding uh, story about uh, teaching somebody? Oof. You know, I, I haven't taught a ton in the last couple of years. Um, but there was a time is teaching, where I was is doing it teaching a lot me of grammar. Teaching. Usually, usually there's a lot of that. A lot of <laughs> teaching me how to spell. And yeah, that's what I figured. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, that's just a constant grind there. <laughs> um, so, but you know, um, I, I, I did spend a lot of time working with students, um, a, a lot more than I do currently. Um, a couple years ago, and I think the biggest reward is when you. see see somebody who is really nervous and shy and really down on themselves because they feel like they can't do it, but they, they feel like they need to because of things that have happened in their lives. So they, they muster up the courage to come to this class and, you know, they, they don't know anything about me when they show up and they, they just take a leap of faith and assume that I'm going to help them. And, and they get on the range or they get through a portion of the classroom section and, and you, you can almost see them blossom because they realize that a lot of it is, is just about information and feeling and being able to understand what is happening, particularly when they're, when they're actually doing the physical shooting part and being able to take that and say like, hey, I can actually do this. This isn't some mythical um, thing out there that, you know, the gun's going to explode in my hand or whatever other myths that are out there. When they get there and they they realize, hey, this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And I'm actually pretty good at it. And they get really excited and they they, they just start kind of glowing almost. It's a little cliche, but, but watching those people overcome those confidence hurdles to realize that hey this is something that they could they can do and they can be able to take that confidence and be able to protect themselves if they need to okay last question so you were there with people from all over the country you got to tell them all about san diego county gun owners from from our conversation you've you've said that they've already heard of us in some ways what was their reaction to uh to what you're doing with not me and to san diego county gun owners and all the other packs in general and how great michael is Nobody, yes, no, I, not one person. That's exactly that. what I was just going to say. Um, <laughs> there, you know, I think the idea that we are making actual change at the local level is is something that I think nobody, people forget that it's possible. So it's really exciting to see that they're really impressed with what we're doing. And you're leading the way. Thank All you, right, Wendy. Wendy. You are a superstar. Thank you both. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. Sam the Gunman's coming up. And are you ready for this? We're going to have a spicy mic drop. So you can't listen if you're not listening. So take 
take a break. We're going to be right back. This is Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. Back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. Hey, we live in a state where your self-defense rights are under attack. Let us be your voice to help defend and restore the Second Amendment. Help spread the word about the fight. There's two easy things you can do. One, like and subscribe to the show on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, Instagram, the podcast, or whatever way you like to listen to the show. Number two, leave a five-star review on your podcast app, and it helps promote the show, puts it in front of more people. All right, stump my nephew. Hey, Sam, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good. How are you guys? Living the dream. You want to ask a question? Well, we're gonna before we ask the question. I have a another question to ask you, uh, Sam. You don't happen to know anybody who has a birthday today, do you? Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> happy birthday, Sam. Happy hey, birthday, Sam. Happy birthday, Sam. Thank you. Is that yeah. the big two two. Is that it what that is? is. I think so. How old are you? Two. What's hey. that? Twenty two. Holy cow! Leos are so modest. Just a baby. <laughs> 22 that's all downhill now it felt I, like four years ago when i was 22 i remember when he was born you i wish was, i actually was years. i was visiting my sister and he was he was he, he, it took him forever i finally had to leave i had to go back to i was in college i had to go back and and uh, to school and i got a call once i got back he, and uh you finally came and joined joined the world but uh, i was trying so hard to be there when you when you were born so Congratulations, Big Twenty Two. Any plans? What, what, what? How? How much wiser are you than you were when you were twenty-one? What, what have you learned? Um, I mean, a, a lot of little things, of course. You know, life is nothing if not a process of learning. <laughs> he just like, aged like ninety now, years right now. <laughs> what a scholar! I love this kid. Who says that? All right, I, you should. I, I, I feel like I'm the twenty-two-year-old. He's the. 45-year-old. All right, Sam, ready? Okay, every week we have on my nephew, and we ask him a question. You guys email in a question. We will uh, we'll, uh, we use it on the air. We'll give you a hat and a shirt. Uh, if you stump my nephew, you'll uh, you'll get a, a membership to Frontside, which is a lifetime of, of training, pistol rifle shotgun. So without further ado, Melissa is going to... <laughs> Ask the question. For By the way, Sam, like I think they set me up for this one because I might butcher these names. But anyways, um, happy birthday. And this question comes from Stacy from Lemon Grove. You got Stacy, right? That's that's a good start. That's a good start. <laughs> um, what does SIGS stand for in SIGS Hour? Um, it's, what was that? Stacy from Lemon Grove? Yes. Okay. Again, you guys could be just completely making up place names, and I would not know the difference. <laughs> it's a real. Um, it's a real place. Yeah, with a it's giant a lemon. Yeah, there's a big lemon, lemon in yeah. downtown. Um, so anyway, SIG S I G is not just a, a, like a word or a person's last name or something they made up to, to name the company. Um, it it's actually an acronym in German, which is one of the uh, one of the languages they speak in Switzerland. Um, and it stands for, as I recall, uh, like Schweizer Industrie Gesellschaft or something, something along those lines, basically meaning um, the Swiss Industrial Corporation or, or something like that. Yeah, you're right. That's Correct. A yeah, read the whole answer, though, because okay, I just want to okay. hear you read it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, I told you they were setting me up. Friedrich 
Payer Imhoff, Heinrich Moser, and Conrad Neer opened a wagon factory in Switzerland in 1853. The business took a different turn several years, years later when they won an award for the Swiss Federal Ministry of Defense for a state-of-the-art rifle the company had designed. As orders poured in for the rifle, the company's name was changed from the Swiss Wagon Factory to the Swiss Industrial Company. In German, the name was Schweizerreich Industrie Geiselschaft, later shortened to SIG. Boom! There you go. I said uh, it. Swiss Wagon Factory. <laughs> I, just, I wish Wendy was still on the phone. She's a big SIG fan. I'm going to start calling her gun. The, uh, you know, hey. They make fun of my Glock. Huh? Yeah. Well, it, yeah. Well, it wasn't well, made in a wagon factory. <laughs> To be fair, Gaston Glock had basically no background in firearms. He made his fortune. Anyway, thanks for calling in, Sam. <laughs> Lawn chairs, did you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he worked in plastics molding. He worked in plastics. That's yeah. the future, though. That's None of the big gun guys started with guns. Right? Yeah, they really didn't. Well, Sam, that's awesome, man. I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy that you're 22. Uh, did you get a birthday cake? I did, yeah. Good. Are you got any big birthday plans? You get any cool birthday presents? Um, I do not have any big birthday plans, and that's that's about the way I like it. <laughs> He's a very introspective young man. Well, his birthday is almost over. Six. So it's nine o'clock. It's yeah. time for him to go to bed. Well, it's birthday. You get birthday week. Birthday week. You birthday cel- month. You celebrate the whole week, Sam? Um, no, I I yeah. try not to celebrate at all. Yeah, well, <laughs> I hear you right there, brother. I'm I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. I just don't like celebrations. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Well, you didn't take after your uncle, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm all about celebrations. And he's a Jehovah's Witness, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> all right, my friend. Awesome job. Stump my nephew. Not this week. Good job. You saved me a uh, a, uh, a membership here. So. Thanks. You you guys have been lobbing me some pretty hard ones lately, so uh, it's it's. Good to have an easy week for once. That was easy. I mean, gee, all right, fair enough. Well, that's that's one of those things where either you, well, let me back up. I guess all of these are either you know it or you don't. But um, like I said a couple weeks ago, the the listeners I think have figured out what my weak areas are, and they've just been hammering those trying to get <laughs> trying to get a free membership to front membership. Side? Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. He just threw down the gauntlet, listeners. So come up with some hard questions. Email us at Gun Owners Radio or send it in our Facebook, and let's stump this guy. Yeah, keep him coming, folks. All right, man. Take care. You too. Bye. All right. Now it's time for this week's Mic Drop. Mic Drop. Okay, so usually my mic drops are uh, snarky, and they're kind of sarcastic, and they're a little bit negative towards people. Um, and that really uh, is a lot of fun, and I enjoy it. But <laughs> that wasn't the full, sole intent when we added mic drop. Uh, you know, we wanted to just uh, reach out and tell you what's going on. So people are are probably anxiously waiting for me to tear somebody apart. And frankly, that's not what this one's going to be about. Uh, as no, you all Sam's know, birthday. yeah, on Sam's birthday, in honor of Sam's birthday, we're going to do a real positive mic drop. Now. The negative part, of course, is you're all aware of H.R. 127. H.R. 127 is, of course, the federal bill that, if passed and is in Congress right now, will ban magazines that hold over 10 rounds. It'll ban 50 caliber ammunition. It'll create a publicly accessible federal firearms registration system so that you can search and see anybody that owns a gun in the United States and where they live and what their name is. It'll mandate psychological evaluations for gun owners, which means... That before you can own a gun or buy a gun, 
you have to go to a government doctor and make sure that they think you're allowed to have a gun. You know, and when you put it that way, mandate psychological evaluations for gun owners, people kind of gloss over. The reality is it's a government doctor approving you for, you know, either gun ownership or saying you can't. When you put it in those terms, when you really explain the nuts and bolts of what that means, people immediately turn on it and they should. It'll institute costly firearms insurance for everybody. You'll have to pay at least $800 a year just for insurance. H.R. 127 is as bad as it gets. Uh, It's a horrible bill. Now, San Diego County gun owners and Riverside County gun owners and San Bernardino County gun owners and Orange County gun owners have put together um, a uh, resolution uh, in order for city councils across the counties to uh, say, yeah, we, we we stand against this thing. And we've done it in, well, Ukaipa was the first. They kicked it off. Oceanside voted for it unanimously. Um, Santee voted for it unanimously. And what I want to do is talk to you folks about El Cajon. El Cajon is the latest to vote for a resolution saying, hey, we're against H.R. 127. We're going to write to uh, Congressman Issa because he covers El Cajon. He's part of their district. And we're going to write to uh, Congress uh, member uh, uh, Jacobs, um, Sarah Jacobs, who's as anti-gun as they come and say, hey, look, we officially as a city do not want you to vote for H.R. 127. Now, I want to commend them, and I want to point out that Michelle Mitchell and Phil Ortiz, who are on the city council, those were both people that San Diego County gun owners endorsed. We spent money on helping them get elected. We sent uh, uh, volunteers to help them get elected. They both got elected. They're the ones that brought this to the city. They're the ones that championed it and helped it get passed. And that, folks, is important. You know, when people ask, well, gee, why are you guys only focused on the city councils? You know, that's not where things happen. Things happen in Sacramento and and Washington, D.C. And we used to say, well, just wait and see. And now we do see that, of course, things happen on on, on the city council. But this also shows what an influence that the city council can have on on uh, public policy when it comes to state and federal. And that's exactly what we're doing. And I can't say thanks enough to everybody on this on the El Cajon City Council. You guys did a fantastic job. Just like we heard about earlier today with Gene James, he stood up and was rewarded for it. We need to stand up and tell the El Cajon City, uh, El Cajon City Council that you guys did a great job. All five of them, they voted unanimously. Uh, Mayor Bill Wells, everybody voted for it, and, 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 and that's important. So for that, I say El Cajon City Council, and thank you so much. Thank you to the members of San Diego County Gunners who continue to help us get get uh, uh, people elected so that good things can happen. And that is this week's Spicy Mic Drop. Mic Drop. All right, folks. Hey, if you want to help us out, subscribe to our podcast. Just search Gun Owners Radio and you'll find us. Leave a five-star review to help get the word out. And please support all our great sponsors, San Diego County Gun Owners, U.S. Law Shield, the Dillon Law Group, PRMI Mortgage, Blackhound Optics, and National Concealed Carry Association. Big shout-out to Joe Jermisi, Michael Schwartz, uh, Melissa Lee, Sam the Gunman, and our audio guru, Brendan Thomas, and all of our uh, support staff. And go to gunownersradio.com for podcasts. Latest information, you got a question, you got a concern, maybe you have an idea for us, or maybe you want to try to stump our nephew. Yeah. That's where you go. Again, folks, this is Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, 
AM 1170. The answer. Wait, Bob Siegel's in the house. Don't touch that dial. There you go. This program is sponsored by Dave Stahl.